Hello and welcome to Spacewalks Money Talks, where we talk about outer space business, technology, and policy. I'm Chris Alvarez, and today's guest is James Miller, who talks about planetary spacecraft navigation and about JPL history. This interview is being posted in two parts. This is part one. Thank you for listening. I'm speaking with James Miller, author of Planetary Spacecraft Navigation. Uh, thank you for speaking with me. Thank you. So first, uh, tell me, so you have a, a long and dis distinguished career in space. Um, so tell me tell me about your career and how you ended up writing uh, this book. Okay, well, I I started working, um, actually, actually, I can go back to, to when I graduated from college. Sure. I, I went to work for Westinghouse Electric, and I worked on uh, nuclear submarines. And I was I worked on the safety of nuclear reactors. And at that time, there was um, only forty or fifty react nuclear reactors in the whole country. Hmm. There was one power plant, and Westinghouse essentially had all had had a lock on all the business pressurized water reactors. That was an invention of Westinghouse, mm -hmm. and they were in the submarines and the aircraft carriers and stuff like that. And I worked on the safety and and uh, the uh, the problem that kind of evolved is that the all the work was done and there wasn't anything new to do. Oh. And uh, this later happened, I think, in the to my to me in the space program, but having gone through it a couple times before, I was able to deal with it. But uh, anyhow, I, I worked. I, I'm from, I went to Carnegie Mellon in Pittsburgh, and I, I worked there. And then I. Uh, I decided that uh, the nuclear program isn't going anywhere, and the space program was really taking off at that time. This mm -hmm. is around 1962-63. So I just decided to jump over and onto the space program because they were desperate for engineers. Hmm. Okay. And I wound up working at Lockheed Martin in Baltimore, and I worked on the precision reentry vehicle, which is essentially the same trajectory that the shuttle uses to re-enter the atmosphere mm -hmm. it was it was going to land at uh, edwards air force base mm -hmm. but, but the vehicle i worked was a prototype and it was not manned it was un unmanned and we flew it from to quadrilion island and dropped it into a 10 mile circle so that was uh, that was the, the mission when it was on mm -hmm. and uh, you know and i got i wanted to live in california and i'm, I'm and i'm in the uh, baltimore I, I kind of learned to like Baltimore, but uh, but I, I had kind of stopped looking at the at the ad, ads in the paper. I just decided I just I think I'll just stay stay here. And then I just happened to be looking through the Sunday paper, and there are usually hundreds of ads in there for engineers at the time. Mm -hmm. it, they, they were, it was like a phone book of ads for for engineers. Hmm. The Los Angeles Times was just jammed with them. Maybe 20, ten pages of ads for engineers. Mm -hmm. And and JP Jet Propulsion Lab had an ad. I went down and I interviewed them in a hotel room, mm. kind of secretly. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I filled out a big thick application, and I only had about most of it was blank because because I didn't have any papers that I published, and I didn't have any academic qualifications. But I knew how to do. I knew how to analyze nuclear submarines. Mm -hmm. I, I was with analog computer. I was good at that, and I was good at. I was learning how how to program digital computers too, and this is what I did for the rest of my life. Essentially, this is what got me into uh, writing the book. Eventually, mm -hmm. okay. And I I I, uh, I thought that uh, that they wouldn't be interested in me because because they were it looked like they were interested in 
really smart people. <laughs> so I just went, I forgot about it. And about two or about a month later, they're very slow. JPL is very slow at, at doing interviews and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I get a phone call. They said, well, we'd like you to come on for an interview. I said, what? So, so I said, okay. So, so I, uh, I didn't want my, I didn't want Lockheed Martin. I was working for them at the time. I didn't want them to know what was going on. So I, I, I got the red eye at night, mm-hmm. flew to Los Angeles, stayed in the Huntington Sheraton Hotel, which is a beautiful hotel in Pasadena. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but, uh, but on the flight, there was a bomb scare on the plane. Oh, wow. And it, and it was the guy across the aisle from me was the one that was had phoned it in. <laughs> he was, he was, he was a, he had a uniform on and he looked really nervous. Mm-hmm. And when the pilot said, you know, evacuate the plane, we have a bomb scare, and they gave us free drink coupons, I uh, I knew he was the one that did it, and I knew he was AWOL, and he was trying to get cover for being AWOL. Oh, wow. So, so I got back on a plane. Needless to say, I arrived in Pasadena uh, having – the liquor was free on the airplane from then on because it was <laughs> – so I wound up pretty drunk by the time I got to my interview in, on the next day, mm-hmm. and and uh, well, I was sober in the morning anyhow. <laughs> a beautiful drive, beautiful drive up uh, Linda Vista Avenue. Mm-hmm. You're probably familiar with that. Mm-hmm. Look, and there was snow on the mountains up above uh, Mount Wilson up there. Okay. I took one look and I said, I don't care what they want me to do. I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna take this job. <laughs> <laughs> and I got the JPL and and uh, I had a really good interview. I, you know, I talked to them, and they, uh, I had, I had five years, I was going on five years of experience. They did not want to hire anybody fresh out of college. They needed people who could do things right, right away. Okay. Yeah. And I had some experience doing, uh, I worked on the original Voyager proposal, and I did the orbit insertion um, there. And, and anyhow, I got, uh, I, I went back to Baltimore after it was over. I got in early in the morning on on another red eye mm-hmm. and showed up for work. And I I told him I was sick yesterday, and that was the end of that. And I, then I didn't hear from him anymore. And then I, I remember in November, I guess it was, uh, you know, this is a couple another month later. Mm-hmm. Uh, they uh, there was a power failure in New York City. It was black dot, and I'm sitting there, and the phone rang, and they said they offered me a job to come to JPL. And I said mm-hmm. okay. And they said, "When can you be there?" I said, "In a couple of weeks." Okay, so so I uh, I loaded my car up with with everything I owned and put it in the trunk and drove to took off for uh, California and I and that started my 50 years essentially working in space program. 35 of it at JPL. So so the Voyager work are you saying that was with Lockheed or that was a project you? Yeah. Okay. So well, there was an original Voyager proposal. It's not the Voyager that JPL did. It was to it was to put two spacecrafts on a, on a on a um, uh, the, the the Apollo rocket, mm-hmm. the Apollo eleven rocket, to two, and put two spacecraft on one rocket and send it to Mars. Hmm. And, and it, it 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 never was done. We just I did the proposal. I did uh, some work on the proposal for that. Mm-hmm. So that gave me a little bit of experience that was a longer life. So I knew what JPL was. I, I learned because JPL was managing that proposal. Hmm. Okay. And um, yeah. looking back, do you think if they had launched it, would it have worked, knowing what you do now? Yes, I think it would. I, I, I think it was a good idea. It was just too expensive to buy that launch vehicle. Hmm. Okay. That's why they didn't do it. But it was a little risky because if it crashed, well, at that time, the success of interplanetary missions 
they, half of them would crash hmm. or be unsuccessful. And, and, and so I got to JPL and I told them that, uh, uh, you know, I, after I got done uh, interviewing them, they said, uh, I told them I was going to go to UCLA and get, get, get a master's degree mm-hmm. to finish my education because I had, I had a little bit of it, 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 graduate work at, at the University of Maryland and, and also uh, Fred Drexel in Philadelphia mm-hmm. you know, with Pi at, at, at Lockheed Martin. And they said, uh, well, we got a lot of people here who are, who are going to school and getting more education. Uh, we don't need that because they they don't essentially they're more interested in their in in, in their educa- in their schoolwork than they are in actually working on our missions we got here. Hmm. <laughs> they said just you can forget about any more education. Just we just want you to start working. Okay. <laughs> so that, that, that I like that. I was that really set me off because I thought okay I'll I'll, I'll forget about any more education and and uh, I learned on the job and I had some very brilliant people that were teaching me. This hmm. was a very, and JPL at the time had 5,000 billets. Mm-hmm. That's always a billeted employee. Mm-hmm. The contractors were separate, but there was, there was hardly, there wasn't hardly any of them at the time. Mm-hmm. So as a billeted employee, we had probably about seven, enough work for 7,000 employees. Oh, okay. And so we had to pick and choose what we want to do to some oh, extent. Wow. wow. It, it was, there was a real shortage of engineers. And the reason is, I graduated from Carnegie uh, Tech. It was Carnegie Mellon now, and it, I could get a job any, at any company in the in the whole country. Mm-hmm. People would just fly all, take airplane rides all over, interviewing. Mm-hmm. And and and, it, and once you get a job, like at a company like IBM or Westinghouse, that's a job for life. Mm-hmm. They don't like people to quit. And I decided one of the things I decided early in my career is that whatever. People will tell you that it's the right thing to do. Do the opposite, <laughs> and you'll succeed in the long run. So okay. I, by the time I got to JPL, I had already had three, worked for three different companies, I guess. Huh. That was my third company, actually. I started in, in the spacecraft end of it, and what I was doing was uh, working on uh, the division I worked in was responsible for the, for, the, for the power of the spacecraft, the attitude control system, mm-hmm. and the central computer and sequencer, and the scan platform. And that's about it, which is all the guts. That's the solar panels. That was the guts of the spacecraft. Mm-hmm. And I'm an electrical engineer, so I, I understood. I could under, I could quickly understand how all that worked because I, you know, I, I worked on uh, wiring diagrams for nuclear power plants, so I, I knew how to wire things up. You know. I'm speaking with James Miller, author of Planetary Spacecraft Navigation. You can find more information on the Springer website for the book. If you like this podcast, please take a moment to rate it on whatever podcast feed you're listening to it on. These ratings go a long way in increasing the popularity of my podcast. Please sign up for my newsletter at spacewalksmoneytalks.com. Please post your comments and questions about this podcast or the episode on Facebook at Spacewalks Money Talks or on YouTube at Spacewalks Money Talks. You can contact me directly on Twitter at SpacewalksMT and on Instagram at Spacewalks Money Talks. If you like military history, please listen to my podcast, Military History Inside Out, located at warscholar.org and militaryhistorypodcast.com. If you like science fiction, fantasy, and horror, please listen to my podcast, Full Contact Nerd, also located at chrisalvarez.com and fullcontactnerd.com. 
Now back to the podcast. While I was at Martin, I actually did the the, 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 the nuclear power plant wiring diagram for, for a reactor they were building. Mm-hmm. I went to Panama and all that. So I was only, what, I was 24 years old. Yeah. So I went to JPL, you know, and, and I'm 25 now, and I'm an old guy now. Yeah. Because they don't, they don't want it. They want, it was hard to get people with experience to quit where they were working and and, and, and switch jobs. Right. They, the culture was really against that. Mm-hmm. So JPL was really hurting for to get the people. So I wound up get, get having a job that I I thought, you know, what what am I doing this for? I'm I, I, I became the guidance and control analyst on Mariner six and seven, mm-hmm. and I was responsible for sixteen people analyzing the spacecraft. So, of course, that was what I learned. One thing you learn about JPL is they tell you you're responsible for something, but you're really not responsible because if you try to make a decision to tell to, to get somebody to do something then somebody else could overrule you quite easily. And and so so I learned that at JPL, responsibility didn't really mean too much. They're just interested in people doing getting work done. When you say analysis of the spacecraft, um, can you be more detailed about what that means? Okay, well, the, the, uh, we had, we had uh, uh, the telemetry would come back from the uh, Deep Space Network. Mm-hmm. And it was uh, decoded from spacecraft, and and we had like in 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 the uh, in the operate in the in the spacecraft operations facility, we had three rows of disks, and all the guy all my guys were on the back row. The other two rows they didn't have much to do because all the act all the activity on a spacecraft is in the electric the electrical things and things that move, mm-hmm. you know, and, and uh, the the rocket engine, the thrust, you know, propulsion. The propulsion division guy is responsible for the motor, but he didn't. He wasn't responsible for computing how much delta V and that, and that when to turn it on and off and things like that. Okay. But the analysis. The, the, uh, uh, let me go back a little bit. Sure. The data would come down, and and we had like about every analyst had a, had a teletype machine sitting in front of them. So we had thirty teletype machines. You know, the kind that make a lot of noise, like a newsroom. Mm-hmm. And and when we launched the spacecraft, as, as I remember the. Uh, you're sitting there, and there's no data coming, and the spacecraft is sitting on the on the uh, launch pad, and it's up on the rocket. It's on an Atlas rocket, mm-hmm. and we're sitting there waiting. And I'm looking at the, and we're getting data back from the spacecraft, and I could see the gyros were really noisy inside. So, so I, I I talked to my my uh, chief assistant, who was really a very responsible. He, he's the guy that designed the the, the, the the deep space network control system for the antennas mm-hmm. on Acor. He, he he was he was over me, but 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 on the team, I was officially the you know the, the head of that thing. Okay. And he and I, I was wondering what the heck's going on. He said, "Oh, it's windy at the Cape. The wind is blowing, and the gyros are registering it." <laughs> but anyhow, these teletype machines would type the data. The temperature, the pressure, how all the gyros, and 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 our job was to was to read that data. You know, we, we had computer programs that we, we never trusted, that never hardly ever worked, that would convert the numbers, the data numbers that would come down into engineering units. Mm-hmm. Well, after we, we we could just look at the data number, fifty four was zero, zero was minus something, and one hundred twenty eight was plus something. Mm-hmm. So we knew what a number was. We knew what the temperature was. Like we knew that Canopus, when it, when we locked on the star Canopus, that that, that had a DN of eight. 
that means it's pretty really bright because 54 is zero. So you know, mm-hmm. minus you know eight eight is, eight is very bright. Mm-hmm. It's a negative number, but. And so anyhow, we would analyze all that telemetry coming in and look to see if there's something wrong with the spacecraft. Mm-hmm. And you have to understand what the spacecraft is doing. Would you say that the way that's done now, obviously the technology has gotten better, you know, as far as reading and transmission of data and all that. But would you say essentially functions are the same, that it's kind of done, managed the same way? Yeah, essentially. You could say, I, I, I don't know for certain because I... I only worked on the on the uh, hardware end of it for about three years, and then I switched over to the trajectory and the navigation hmm. section, which is which doesn't get involved with the hardware anymore. Okay. But I, I, I well I, on that spacecraft Mariner Six, uh, I, the reason I, I got into this is because they 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 had a, it was the first spacecraft that leaves goes beyond the orbit of the moon that had a computer on board. Huh. Okay. So the problem was how do you how do you com- man the, com- the uh, computer so i was responsible for develop for, for ha- having a bunch of programmers program uh, a com- program which we got called command generation comgen mm-hmm. and it would it would uh, uh control the computer so it would we i could uh upload the whole entire memory and, and download the memory and look at it and see if it's the right right you know, bits and z- ones and zeros are in there mm-hmm. and i designed i designed it like my uh, an, uh, an assembler and a compiler to program the computer. Mm-hmm. It only had 128 word memory. Oh, okay. Hmm. So I guess does that mean you could push out old commands and insert, you know, new replacement commands for some new function that you needed the the spacecraft and, to to carry out? Yeah. So I had a, I had pretty good solid spacecraft experience. Mm-hmm. Let me put that the reason I'm telling you all this. Okay. And then I I. I of course, I got into some arguments a lot because I thought everybody was stupid. <laughs> big mistake. Mm. <laughs> big mistake. They're just quiet. <laughs> yeah. The average guy does or At that time, people were afraid to say anything mm-hmm. because if you said something and it was wrong, you, you could get fired. Mm. I mean, it was, it was people really were scared because we had – if – Mariner six and seven was successful. I kept saying this. This would be the first time ever the two spacecraft were both successful. Usually, if you're lucky, you get one of them to work. Mm-hmm. Surveyor had seven spacecraft, and I think maybe uh, five of them worked. Okay. But this would be the first uh, uh, time, and so people were very nervous. And but I I, I knew what I was doing because I had really studied. I had worked on nuclear submarines, and I knew I knew what a sub I knew how to I knew more about how a submarine worked than any than any 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 ship captain or than than even um, I think Jimmy Carter I think was on a nuclear submarine. Oh yeah, he he was a little bit before me. Mm-hmm. I knew more about nuclear submarines than, than any of those Navy guys. Let me put it that way. <laughs> okay, and, and so I learned a lot about spacecraft, and I know how to take a spacecraft and look at a, a, a wiring diagram and figure out what it's doing. And then write a computer program to, to make sure it's doing what, what, what I think it's doing. Mm-hmm. So I had the attitude control, the power, and all that under me mm-hmm. in addition to the computer. And, of course, I had some very smart guys working for me, and they all thought they were smarter than me, so that, that, <laughs> I don't really care. That, that, that was true throughout my entire existence at JPL. I don't think everybody thought they, was, they were equal to me. Mm-hmm. And it's only since I wrote the book that I decided, all right, I'm, I'm tired of this, we're all equal. I said, if you haven't written a book, you're not equal to me. From now on, I'm, 
I'm not acknowledging you being equal to me anymore. Yeah, let's see your book. We were all, we were all, you know, every when you work in the military. I worked. Oh, I also before I got okay. Anyhow, I I I I got in trouble and essentially I, I got I got sort of fired and then they and then somebody else wanted to rehire me because I was arguing with the I, I was arguing with the guy who later became the direct the deputy director of the laboratory. Oh, okay. But he was he was a strong guy. He's 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 on the Sierra Madre search and rescue team. You know, he was a real. Tough, but hey, I liked him a lot, and we got along good. But I'd argue with him a lot too. And I, somehow, my section manager found out that I was arguing with this very important person. Mm-hmm. So he, he told me not to argue with him anymore. And then I forgot one day, and I I got into another argument with him. And they, so they they said, "Okay, you're off the team." Mm-hmm. And I and then they decided that was a mistake. <laughs> and I wound up quitting and going to Logicon. I worked on a Minuteman program on Minuteman missiles. Mm-hmm. And what we were doing, what I was doing there, was verifying that their software was correct mm-hmm. that targeted the missiles. Okay. And, and I, I was doing pretty well there too. And if I'd stayed there, when I when I went to work, there was a hundred employees. And I think uh, when they, uh, uh, ten years later, they sold the country to the company to Northrop Grumman for six seven hundred and fifty million. Mm-hmm. And it was like four thousand employees. Uh-huh. Oh wow! And I had been there when there was one hundred, and I knew to, I knew everybody in the company. Mm-hmm. And 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 I decided that I knew that it was an opportunity because I could see the growth. But I thought that they were going to send me to Washington or Vandenberg to, to work, you know, and if I want to if I want to advance. And I didn't want to leave California under any circumstances. I said, look, I'm going back to JPL. <laughs> And I decided that I don't care about getting rich. Mm-hmm. It turns out I got rich anyway at JPL, but <laughs> not rich. I would have if I had stayed in Logic. I think I'd be a multimillionaire right now if I had stayed there. Mm. You know, anyhow, I go and I called up the guys that I knew at JPL, and I said, I'd, I'd, I'd like to come back. Well, this is right after Apollo had landed, mm-hmm. and there was a big layoff. And so there was, there was a, oh. there were so many, there was, you couldn't find a job. The newspapers, there's no uh, ads for jobs in the newspapers. And since they, since they knew me, even though I'm a troublemaker, mm-hmm. they'd rather have somebody that they knew could do the job than having Albert Einstein come and they'd have to train him. Right. Because you couldn't train Albert Einstein because he wouldn't listen to you. <laughs> but they knew that I was, that I could do it and that I, and that I would listen. Mm-hmm. Knowing how to do a job is a, if you could convince an employer that you know how to do the job really well, they're going to hire you. Yeah. yeah. But they, so they knew I knew how to do it because they knew me. So I, I went back and I, and I got into the navigation section. Now I can start the beginning of the book. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, I just gave you the background a little bit. Yeah, no, that's good. That's good. So I started doing analysis now. And this, this analysis consisted essentially of, of, of uh, figuring out how to, how, how to navigate the spacecraft in different situations. Mm-hmm. The first one I worked on was Viking. So we, the Viking mission, we had uh, two spacecraft, each of them on an Atlas Centaur, and 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 we launched in 1975, and we and we arrived in 1976, mm-hmm. and we were supposed to land the thing on on the 200th birthday of the United States, and I I kept telling the management there, I said, look, you guys. You morons are not going to land this on the birthday of the United States because nobody believes it's going to work. And what you have to do is, is crash a spacecraft on Mars on the birthday of the United States. 
NASA's not going to do it. They're going to delay it. Mm-hmm. But we had all planned, you know, these missions, you know, mission A and mission B. And, and I did been doing analysis. Basically, my job was, was uh, figuring out how, how to do the orbit insertion burn. Okay. It's a 40 minute burn of the rocket to get the spacecraft into orbit around Mars. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, and also, and compute how much, uh, fuel it would take to, 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 uh, navigate the mission. And that's a statistical thing. So we, we had to guarantee that we could, that we could, we have a 99% probability of not running out of fuel. Mm-hmm. See, when you build a skyscraper or a bridge, you usually have a factor of five in your, for your safety. Mm-hmm. We don't have that. We computed the statistics, but everybody padded it a little bit. But I didn't. I com- I computed exactly what I thought the statistics really were, and then I said to be sure we got to make sure that you know we got a little more margin than what I'm computing here. Mm-hmm. But essentially, my, my that was a large part of my job for for a lot for most of the missions I worked on. Was, was making sure that there was going to be enough fuel and we're not going to run out of fuel, mm-hmm. which yeah. we almost did on one of the missions I was working on. Oh, wow. That was only because that was only because of a failure. But uh, so I worked on that, and we la- we landed two spacecraft on Mars, and, and my I, I developed a, a, a mathematical technique for optimizing the orbit insertion burn. And I actually, I developed, invented some fundamental new mathematics, essentially. Hmm. Okay. Because, because I don't know if you're familiar. Are you familiar with uh, engineering mathematics and stuff like that? Not really. No, just in a very okay. vague sense, you know. Yeah, you know, there's something in, in, in for optimization, something known as Lagrange multipliers. Okay. Lewis Lagrange, and that's a way of optimizing constrained optimization. It has wide application all over the place. And 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 I looked at that and I said that's not good for a computer. So so there's another. Uh, technique that's, which is called gradient projection, and I, I was sitting there one day and I and, and I'm and I thought I don't like this Lagrange multiplier approach. I'm going to try to do something else, and, and essentially I invented gradient projection. Okay. And people kept telling me you really invented something that's new, and I wouldn't believe them because my belief was what I've been taught is that you, is that if you're an engineer, you can't believe it. You, you can't invent anything new because everything you invent has already been thought of. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't publish it. I just said, you know, with it because, but I knew, but I wanted to get it into the flight software because I, I wanted JPL to recognize that I had done it. Mm-hmm. So I managed to play it cool when I got, you know, when I got, I got, I got that done. And then later on, I didn't even call it gradient projection. They decided desperately that they needed this kind of software to, 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 to design the trajectory to go to, to, to go to Jupiter for Galileo. Mm-hmm. And they they spent three years repeating what I had done in five years, mm-hmm. but by that time I had I had uh, I had enough of the trajectory design, I knew how to do it, and I des- I designed a trajectory that uh, I later I later got a medal for from the AIA a trajectory that goes to the uh, to to the moon. It was a Japanese mission. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's in my book, a little chapter on it on that. Okay. That. Um, the Japanese mission needed uh, was failed, and so they had a spacecraft stuck in orbit around the Earth. They didn't know what to do with it, mm-hmm. and they only had 25 meters per second velocity change that they could do. They were out of fuel essentially, so they had all ideas of what they could do. One was just to try to do some um, drag experiments, you know, dip it into the atmosphere and see what 
And then when they would have, they really wanted to go to the moon. Well, it, it looked like it's impossible to go to the moon. Mm-hmm. Well, I figured a trajectory where you lop it out about a million kilometers away, but you go fly by the moon and go out about a million kilometers from the earth, mm-hmm. a million and a half exactly. And you sit out there for uh, three months and the sun then takes enough energy out of the orbit that you can come back and be captured by the moon. Oh, wow. So essentially, essentially I could get to the moon for nothing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a few meters per second. Wow. And, and this became, and they did it. They, they were, the Japanese were so happy, you know, of course, there was a lot of politics there, but, but anyhow, I, I did that mm-hmm. and, and, and uh, with another guy, and, and he did the theory, and I did the actual trajectory. When I did the trajectory, I never paid any attention to his theory, but I told him, okay, we'll both write the papers, <laughs> and, and it, I'll write a paper on the trajectory, you write a paper on the theory, mm-hmm. and, and, I wrote, and then we'll publish it, and, and make sure we get credit for this, because this is important, you know, and all that. And, and, and what happened was his, his theory was kind of not that good but the trajectory was the trajectory mm-hmm. so, it, it worked. So, so i told so he didn't like the idea that we split it like that he wanted to, he wanted to say that he did the trajectory <laughs> so, but, he, but so i he he had the, his theory i guess was all right so we, anyhow we became uh, enemies for, for 25 years yeah wow and he went off and claimed he quit jpl well he wasn't actually he didn't quit he was fired from jpl yeah so he didn't know what to do with him essentially and 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 he went off and 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 so we fought with each other for 25 years i i didn't care that much but i just wanted him to give me my 49 percent or 51 percent. i i thought i should have 51 i'll I'll, i would settle for 40 even Uh but he he kind of wrote me out of everything oh wow and i thought but but i i eventually we the outside world kind of figured out what had happened because mm-hmm. his theory just wasn't gonna, wasn't explaining it. And then all kinds of people came up with theories for how for to explain this motion, mm-hmm. and and uh, in Peru and, uh, and and the University of Barcelona in Spain, mm-hmm. and they knew that they knew that my the guy that I worked with uh, they, that he had worked with him, and they knew that he didn't really have the right theory, and they backed me up the guys over in Spain. Oh, okay, and and so I, I kind of. I didn't learn this until years later, but anyhow. I'm speaking with James Miller, author of Planetary Spacecraft Navigation. You can find more information on the Springer website for the book. If you like this podcast, please take a moment to rate it on whatever podcast feed you're listening to it on. These ratings go a long way in increasing the popularity of my podcast. Please sign up for my newsletter at spacewalksmoneytalks.com. Please post your comments and questions about this podcast or the episode on Facebook at Spacewalks Money Talks or on YouTube at Spacewalks Money Talks. You can contact me directly on Twitter at SpacewalksMT and on Instagram at Spacewalks Money Talks. If you like military history, please listen to my podcast, Military History Inside Out, located at WarScholar.org and MilitaryHistoryPodcast.com. If you like science fiction, fantasy, and horror, please listen to my podcast, Full Contact Nerd, also located at chrisalvarez.com and fullcontactnerd.com. Now back to the podcast. I was working with the University of Barcelona, the mathematics department, and some Carlos Simone, I think was his name, he's the number one mathematician in all of Spain. Oh, wow. Okay. 
And the guy that I was working with was Moser's student. Moser is one of the top mathematicians in the United States, mm -hmm. Brown University. There's three or four really big mathematicians. Nobody ever knows them, you know, but they're, they're there. Mm -hmm. And and so I'm dealing with all these, these high-powered mathematics because because they're they're coming up with all these theories to explain my trajectory. <laughs> they get mad when I say that. Mm -hmm. So anyhow, I had Ed Ed and I we made up finally about five years ago. Oh, okay. And the reason we made up is I you know my my policy always has been you fight. It's like uh, 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 the mating ritual of animals. <laughs> Like elk, mm -hmm. you know, you bang your you bang your heads together and you're correct, but you never try to kill your opponent. They never try to kill them. Mm -hmm. Only human beings try to kill their opponents. Hmm. Other human kill other human. Beings. Most animals are pretty pretty smart, and they realized that a long time ago that sex is a wonderful thing, but it's not get, worth getting killed over. <laughs> so I had the same attitude toward everything I do. That it's not, I'm not, it's not worth killing anybody over. Mm -hmm. So anyhow. Um, and they decided to make a, a documentary movie about th this guy's life. Hmm. So, so this is one of the interviews that I had because because uh, you know, I got a telephone call and they, they wanted to interview me. Right, get your your I angle. A telephone call, and I said uh, I, they were they were in a car and they were they were almost to the to the um, the, the uh, Arizona border. When I, when I finally got a hold of them, because I was away, and I came home, and I said, oh, there's a telephone call. I called, and they're in their car, and they're driving to Arizona, and that, and they said they had wanted to interview me, and I said, oh, I, I said, well, I, you know, it's fine. I said, they said, uh, well, can we interview you? And I said, uh, yeah, sure, anytime you want, just come on in, you know, and, and, <laughs> and I said, and I asked them where they were, and they told me, they said, well, when can you do it? And I said, how about tomorrow morning? Or they said that. And I said, okay. So they turned their car around, and they came back. And the reason they wanted to interview me, because they knew about this controversy between Ed and me. Okay. So they wanted to make sure they got the other side of the story. They're spending some money on this. And you know, you know who Neil deGrasse Tyson is? Oh, yeah. Okay, well, he was in the movie. So I, I met I, I met him as part of this. We were all three. The three of us are in the movie. I have a picture on of, of, of Ed. And, and so I, I decided when I talked to them, I said, okay, here's the, here's the deal. I said, if you got to have a bad guy, make it me. <laughs> but don't take anything that I said negative about Ed because I don't want to, I don't want to be in it. I don't want to, you know, it's his movie. Right. So I, so I, I, so I told Ed, I, call, I got in contact with Ed. We were talking to each other, and we made up immediately. We made up so that, for the sake of the movie, essentially. Okay. I said, look, we can't be fighting with each other. And, and so we made up, but he invites me back to his house, his girlfriend's house, actually, back in, in Princeton. He's a, this is all done at Princeton. He, he was teaching at Princeton. And I, I said, okay, I'll come back. I went back there for, for the movie, and, yeah. and we went. We had a present. We had a... Uh, a showing of the movie at the theater right across from the university mm -hmm. in the town in Princeton. So Neil deGrasse Tyson came came down, and a couple, another guy who was a like a, a black guy who was a like a, a multimillionaire. Mm -hmm. And we had a little we had a little uh, um, afternoon party, you know, talking for about two or three hours, and then we were going to walk over to the movie mm -hmm. or have dinner and then walk away. And and uh, so so uh, we finally. Uh, show up at the theater and, and I look and I, I see there's a line of about a hundred people lined up 
And I thought, oh my, it looks like, it looks like they might even be able to fool the theater. <laughs> a long line in front of the theater is not very many people. Right. hundred people. It, the theater could hold about a hundred, 200 or something like that. Okay. So then we walk up and we discover that, th- that these people were lined up because they can't get in. The, the theater is already filled up. Oh, wow. And we didn't have a ticket. So we had to scrounge around <laughs> to get tickets. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. And I, I went in and I told the producer, I told him, uh, I told him they did a nice job on me because because I was very cooperative with them. I told them they could do anything they want. I said I said, you, you, I said look, I'm retired. I'm at home. I got all the money I'm ever going to make for the rest of my life. I'm sitting here enjoying life. There's nothing you could do to me. <laughs> so go ahead and do whatever you want. <laughs> and and they they like that. Yeah. And and, and uh, so we watched the movie and I'm uh, you know I, I saw myself on the big screen. You know that, that, that's that's I wanted to. I told them I wanted to sit in the back. Because I want because they said that they were laughing at my jokes, okay. and I said, "Are they laughing with me, or or, or at me?" <laughs> I wanted to determine that to see if the laugh if they were laughing at the right things. Mm-hmm. But it turns out that uh, that they were. And after the after the movie the, the presentation was over, they they, they said, uh, "We we're going to have a a a, uh, a presentation." That the members of the, of, of the cast are here, and they're going to call up, and, 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 and the audience can ask questions. Hmm. So they called up Ed, Ed, and he comes up and walks up and stands up on the stage. Mm-hmm. And they call up Neil deGrasse Tyson. I guess he gets up and walks up on the stage. And they call me, and I'm, I'm in the back of the office. What? So I go walk up, and I'm, I'm standing up there on the stage. And then they call up the guy that was the from Princeton. He's a relativity expert. His expertise in relativity is time travel. Hmm. Okay. And 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 he uh, somebody got the question asked him about the Big Bang, you know, about how it worked and all that. And I'm listening to him; he's standing right beside me. Mm-hmm. Anyhow, uh, uh, I guess I'm getting off track, but I forget where I was. But anyhow, that, yeah. I did that, mm-hmm. and, uh, and now I'm going to go back to to Viking, I guess. Well, let, let me I'm ask. Close, I'm getting close to the book now. Let me ask you one quick question. I, I'd like to get to Viking, but um, computer coding is it? Is the coding pretty similar now to what it was back then it seems to me that once you establish certain um sort of equations or or um I, yeah. i'm not sure the well, right word but you know what would have changed from then to now or is it pretty similar yeah one of the things that i had people say that uh, well all that mathematics has all been invented so there's really nothing for you to do in terms of mathematics but uh, that's not true the, the real problem what i okay the reason I was able to do a lot of things that I've done in, 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 is because I learned how to pro- program an analog computer back in 61, 62, 63. Mm-hmm. And I could put a whole nuclear power plant on, on an analog computer and analyze the uh, startup accidents and all these, all the stuff that, that happens. Things that, uh, if I continue doing that work, I, I think I could have figured out that and 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 called up the Russians and told them that they shouldn't do what they did because you know, they caused Chernobyl to blow up. Hmm. But but I I was doing that kind of analysis, and so so when I switched over to the Martin Company, I I I knew you have a thing on an analog computer called an integrator. It integrates differential equations. Okay. It's key. The key to the to the nuclear power plant thing is thermodynamics. And it's really, and you, so you have to solve these simultaneous differential equations. And you have an integrator, 
And I, if I could, I, I thought if I could get a digital computer to integrate, I knew a little bit about programming because I'd done it, you know, when I was in school. Mm-hmm. Very little. It was, computers were something really new. When I was in school, it was only four years that the first computer had been on the market. So it was all that was new mm-hmm. and very expensive. Mm-hmm. So I decided, I, I figured out a 10-line program that would integrate. And I said, well, now I can do on space all the kind of things that I was doing on the analog computer. Only now I can do it on a digital computer. Mm-hmm. So I started doing that. Little did I realize that, that I leapfrogged ahead of a lot of people by doing that. By not working on computers when they were so expensive and primitive, mm-hmm. and by doing and having access to analog computers, I learned a lot of computing skills that the rest of the world had to catch up. Because I'm, I, I kind of leapfrogged ahead, mm-hmm. but, and so I, I, I didn't quite realize that at the time. But I started concentrating on on programming, writing programs on on a digital computer. Mm-hmm. However, there were other programs that were already written that I would run. At Martin, I didn't write my own software to to, to analyze the Prime mission, mm-hmm. but I, I ran programs and I wrote auxiliary programs that you know to do to do statistical analysis and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And so I was I was getting ahead of the curve on computer programming. And then I I, I did that little work on the on the Mariner Six with the computer. Mm-hmm. So I uh, that that kind of kept me going. And then when I got to working on Viking, I really got involved in in in, in writing. And what I discovered is that all the mathematics that existed prior to the computer age was good for solving problems analytically on a piece of paper. Okay. That's what, that's what Einstein would do. He'd sit there, you know, writing on a piece of paper. If you had a computer, you could bypass a lot of the mathematics and do it numerically. And you could get the same result numerically. However, scientists looked down upon that because they, they, they thought it was, uh, uh, brute force, and when you when you when you analyze a problem on a computer, you don't really understand it. You understand it if you really do the mathematics. Mm-hmm. So most of the people that I work with, they bought into that BS, and what it really was, it was total BS. Because it turns out that the people who do things analytically, they don't understand any. They don't understand what they're doing. With, what, what, they understand the mathematics, but they don't understand the physics. Mm. Okay. They write the equations on, and then they could do a lot of mathematics, but that doesn't help them understand the physics. Mm-hmm. But if you can run it on a computer, you can look at the numbers. You can see you can see everything on a computer. Right. So I learned I could learn a lot faster and and do a lot more on a computer. So I I was kind of led the effort to convert the mathematics done by Einstein and uh, and and uh, the, 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 math, the famous mathematicians in the 1800s. Mm-hmm. And all their analytical theories, I, I, w- I was putting all of that on a computer so, you, so that it's, it's a lot easier to do things. Mm-hmm. And so, so that's what I did for, for my entire career. So I, I kind of stayed ahead of the competition by four or five years. Mm-hmm. Of course, now I'm, not, I'm, I'm behind because I, I'm retired for 10 years. Mm-hmm. But that, mm-hmm. for a while, I, I walked away from computers for maybe three or four years because they're supposed to. If you don't go, if you don't go on do computers, you go into management. So, they, yeah, so I was on the, <laughs> I was assistant flight team, um, mm-hmm. navigation team chief on Viking. Mm-hmm. We had like eighty people on that team, mm-hmm. and I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to be a manager because I realized that if you're in management, you don't do technical work. Right. And if you do, you don't have time for it. Right. So, but yet 
the managers who had done technical work, once they become managers, they think they know everything, and, and, and they, they, their mind is closed to learning anything new because they can't learn anything new because they, they don't have time to do the technical work. Mm-hmm. So after five or ten years, you're, all your managers are useless when it comes to, to, be, to making engineering decisions. Hmm. Oh, so they have to get people working for them, but they can't admit that they don't know everything. <laughs> so, it, so I just, I just decided that I'll just go off on my own and do whatever I want. Mm-hmm. And if they don't like it, they they can fire me. And my argument would, was that if you look, you already tried to fire me once. I said it's not going to look good if you try to fire me again for the same thing. <laughs> but, but so I, I developed a, a an attitude of doing the pursuing navigation uh, independent of JPL because the all of the JPL navigators were really navigator operators. It's navigation operations. Mm-hmm. And, and operations is not navigation, the way I look at it. Ah, okay. Like, for example, for example, you have a GPS in your car, right? Mm-hmm. So when you go jump in the car and you want to go to the supermarket, you type in the supermarket name and mm-hmm. push a button, and then it, and then it tell and then it then it tells you how to get there, right? Right. And you follow you follow the map mm-hmm. that's on the console. Right. Okay. So you're navigating. In my mind, you're just you're not navigating. Right. Just, the computer is navigating. <laughs> right. You're... The computer programs that I wrote were I was cap- I had the computer program written that essentially could do navigation autonomously. I didn't need any people. I could I could just write a computer program. We'll do it all. Well, that's not going to sit very well when you have eighty, hundred and fifty people in a section working on navigation. Right. And and their job depends upon. Do, doing making computer runs, mm-hmm. but I could make, write a computer program that replace them all essentially. <laughs> yeah. Well, I knew that I, I knew that no one's going to be in favor of that. So so, but I also I so I, I would I would I, I continued to develop a program anyway, mm-hmm. without you know on my own. And so I, I I decided that instead of trying to argue with these guys at JPL when they want me to do something, they'll come to me, and they did yeah. you know. Uh-huh. A number of times, and they'll say, "You know, we got a new mission, like the comet rendezvous. We want to land a, we want to orbit a comet, mm-hmm. and, and and land or not not land on it, but orbit it. Mm-hmm. And there's gases coming up. So I I did all the analysis of the uh, of that mission, and then they canceled it, which I knew mm-hmm. they were going to do anyway. Yeah. So I decided that the best thing for me to do is to write papers. Okay, mm-hmm. so paper, you know, paper, and present them at the AIAA meetings. Um, and, and so that, that was good to do. So I'd write a paper like every six months, mm-hmm. whatever I did for the last six months, usually, or maybe a year, mm-hmm. I'd write a paper. It'd be about 20 pages, 10 to 20 pages. Mm-hmm. And I thought, yeah, I ought to write a book. Well, I decided that about 25 years ago. Uh-huh. And, 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 and one, one of my friends, he said, he said, Miller, if you write that book, there's nobody in this section that's going to read it because essentially they don't like you. <laughs> I said, I, I think you're right. And I wrote about 30 pages and I realized, oh my God, you know, if you get a book has to be thick, you know, 200 pages minimum. Oh yeah. But I, I 350. If you, if you write it, I read a lot of mystery novels. They're all 350 pages. Yeah. Yeah. So those are your books. That's a, that's a book. Sitting down and writing a technical book with equations in it, mostly 350 pages. It would take me five, 10 years. I realized that, you know, yeah. so I decided I'm not going to do that. I mean, I'm getting into talking about the book now. 
No, that's fine. Uh, that's what you, I know. That's what you're interested in. I think. Well, both, but all all of it. Okay. So anyhow, the uh, so I'm uh, uh, writing papers and I'm having a good time. I write a paper, you know, I make a little, and you do. Of course, you do the at, at early in the stage. JPL had the best graphics department, better than better than uh, public publishers of books nowadays. They had a graphics department that was really first class. They turned out beautiful reports, beautiful figures and everything on them mm. and, I, and whereas other aerospace companies you know they, it was like what you could do with a xerox machine you know? <laughs> uh-huh. most in fact a lot, a lot of the earlier work that i did was mimeographed you know, the, the blue mimeograph paper mm-hmm. but at jpl you could do some really nice looking uh, papers so one of the things i learned when i was at jpl is never think of yourself as superior to the people who are on the the, the, the doing the work Mm-hmm. The people who do the key punch operators, the photographer, they had a photography department, yeah, unbelievable. And so I I knew how to make friends with these people because mm-hmm. I, I come from Pittsburgh. I come from a working class neighborhood. Mm-hmm. So I I kind of knew how to, I, I, even though I didn't get along with, mo- with most people that I work with because I didn't want to, <laughs> if I wanted to, I did know how to. So I was able to get my papers done really, really well. And I got you know a lot of support and um when we when we landed when we when we were going to land on Viking about three months before we were going to land the spacecraft on Viking, mm-hmm. we decided we needed a navigation plan supplement. We had a navigation plan which was you know it was fifty or sixty pages or something like that, mm-hmm. maybe a hundred. And 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 so my the that team chief who was Bill O'Neill, he's the he's the uh, Galileo, Galileo project manager. I don't know if you know who he is or not, but mm-hmm. you know, Bill, he was my supervisor. So he said, well, why don't you uh, Put together the nav- a navigation supplement. So I said, okay. So it says, it says that's the enter. Right. So I put together a 600-page flight plan for landing the spacecraft on on Mars. Wow. I only wrote one little chapter for it. Mm-hmm. I went around and I got ten different people to write ten chapters. Ah. And I and and I went around and I got them to do. And then I read it and edited it. And if they were good writers, I, most of these guys are excellent writers. Mm-hmm. They can they can write better than me any day. But uh, Half of them weren't so good writers, so I would rewrite whatever. If it wasn't good, I'd rewrite it to get it to get it to be uh, a little better. Mm-hmm. And 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 I, and I I think I was the only one at JPL that that could read the whole thing and understand it, because all of the stuff that had to do with the lander landing on Mars with the accelerometers and the gyros and all the stuff that JPL doesn't do that. There isn't anybody that knows how to do that. Hmm. But I knew how to do it. Come working on Minuteman, you know, I know how the Minuteman missiles are going. So I, I, I understood navigation on a much broader level than you find at JPL. Mm-hmm. So, so essentially, I, I, I edited the, the, the nav plan. One question I have is, um, you know that when they had the two first stages recently, um, SpaceX landed the two first stages, you know, reusable. They landed simultaneously, or just about. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you have any comments on that? Like when you saw that, um, I'm just curious. Well my, well, my comment, first of all, I think that that landing the the, the launch vehicle mm-hmm. like they do that was that was originally done by Douglas back of, back 30, 40 years ago, mm-hmm. and then they, and then they decided it wasn't a good idea and they just abandoned it. Hmm. So my comment upon upon Musk is that SpaceX doesn't do anything original. Mm-hmm. In fact, one guy I remember presented a paper at a conference, and he was comparing the technology of different 
things, mechanical things that are around, like you know, like a VCR, you know, and stuff like that, and a washing machine, and a and an automobile, and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And he came to the conclusion that a rocket has about the same technical level as a as a as a washing machine. Mm-hmm. There isn't much more to it than a pump that pumps some stuff. It was a, it was a big deal. Of course, I this guy didn't wasn't around when I was around. There was a big deal about pumping hydrogen for the for the Apollo mission. They, they were they put out a notice that they were trying to develop the pumping hydrogen in, into the engine. You know, and it was a big deal. Mm-hmm. They finally got it to work. But that, that but anyhow, there isn't that much to a rocket. So so so, so, so the SpaceX guys have taken a lot of the technology that was developed by the aerospace industry mm-hmm. and 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 just uh, built these rockets. And, that's, and, and they, they claim that uh, this is the first time you know private a private rocket firm has done anything. Mm-hmm. Well, the problem with that is that first of all, all of this military stuff that's done in the United States is done by private companies, mm-hmm. but they're done under government contract. Mm-hmm. And essentially, the people who work in the aerospace business they 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 don't they don't, they can't even balance their checkbook let alone manage billion dollar contracts. Hmm. So they dish the money out and these guys do the work and then somehow the money is usually disconnected from the work. But but if you look at the bottom line is that if you if if you if we, if I'm working on a on a space project, let's say let's say it's a hundred million dollar space project. Mm-hmm. The the amount of money that goes to the to the to the steel and the and the uh and the or the, the the materials and the and the computers and all that kind of stuff is small compared. Most of that money goes to salaries for mm. people working on the project. Okay. So you, so now you have a hundred million dollars, and 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 that, and that pays the salaries of X people. Okay. Right. Well, they're going to save money. So now they they, they so for ninety five million dollars they give a contract to SpaceX. So SpaceX takes 15% off the top, okay? So now you're talking about $80 million in salaries. Mm-hmm. Okay, so now their argument is that, that, that private in, in industry are a lot smarter and they know how to do things efficiently and they know how to, they, they, they have all this know-how and that's complete nonsense because they don't. Mm-hmm. So my feeling is that I would not want to get on, a, on that rocket that's my feeling. Hmm. I wouldn't trust them. Interesting. Build them. Huh. That's very it's like a Tesla. I wouldn't want a Tesla either. Yeah. But yeah. I like Elon Musk because I like guys like him. Mm-hmm. He's like I identify with him. He's a, he's a he's a renegade. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so if he's successful, good. That's great. I more, more power to him. Mm-hmm. But I'll, I I'm on the government side of spending money, and mm-hmm. and, and and the way I my reason for wanting to work. On, on Minuteman missiles and, and uh, big, big expensive spacecraft. You know, I never worked on a spacecraft. That would, in today's dollars, would be like four hundred million dollar spacecraft. But I've worked on billion dollar spacecraft, hmm. and that means that means if if you if you run the billion dollar spacecraft into a into a telephone pole, that's the end of it. Oh. And and that's the that's a billion dollars right there. You lost. Yeah. And and so the people who work in in, in this are. Not dedicated to making money, the engineers—they mm-hmm. don't even know—they they don't know much about finance. And the only reason I do is because I have a friend who kind of educated me. 
Mm-hmm. He was, he's a he's a real financial whiz, so to speak. He just he, he, he he's probably worth a, a five or six million dollars. That's a, I guess that's a lot of money. I don't think of it that much anymore. <laughs> but but he uh, I, had, I learned a little bit about finance from him. But but people at, at JPL they like to do their they're dedicated to their work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if you put together a uh, hundred million dollars worth of these people. You're, you're, you're not going to be able to beat that. Private industry can't beat that. I don't care how efficient they are. That's okay. what I think. Okay. What would you tell um, someone who's maybe new to the kind of work, who, who now is doing the kind of work you did, maybe new to it just out of college or maybe a few years in? Is, is, there, um, is there any kind of education that you'd like to see them get to make them better that they're not getting? You know, um I don't know if you if that's anything you ever thought about before, but uh, I'm just curious. Well, that, that, that's essentially the reason I wrote the I wrote the book that I wrote because hmm. I I, I kind of figured that the the emphasis on on the at, in the academia and the colleges is on the analytical approach and 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 they shun computers. Recently, in the last 15 or 20 years, they've become more and more people that get an engineering degree. They know how to program a computer. So they're getting, they're getting a lot better at it. But the culture of the older guys is still that, that, that uh, computer computer results are not as good as analytical results. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, and I fought that battle all my life. And, and, and so, so one of the reasons, one of the things that, that, that I once a, a guy comes I would like to see universities spend more attention educating people to do what do things the way I do it, mm-hmm. like doing computer work. Mm-hmm. And they do a little bit more than they used to. But the, still, the professors, they're, they're advising them for their PhD. They don't know how to program a computer very well. And it's hard to, it's hard to manage somebody programming a computer. You just kind of look at the results that they get, and then they write their, their thesis based on that. Mm. And, and But... Uh, uh, I'm definitely uh, on the side of computers, and I'm not like, for example, at the last conference I went to, there was a guy there, and he, and he presented a paper on the three-body equations. Mm-hmm. By the way, you know, that trajectory that I discovered—that mm-hmm. is—that is the world's. That was the world's first solution to the four-body problem. Hmm. Okay, that where four bodies simultaneously attract. Or three bodies simultaneously attracted the fourth body, right. restricted four-body equation. But anyhow, he came up with an analytic way of doing the three-body problem, and he's at JPL. I know him, mm-hmm. and and he's presenting it. And he and he's he he makes the point a couple of times that he doesn't have anything at all to do with computers. And so I went up to talk to him after it was over with you. I try to I try to let him know that. If you work at JPL and you don't have anything to do with computers, you're not of any use to JPL. <laughs> Your free body stuff is just worthless. And, and and he kept talking down to me in terms of mathematics. You know, you know this is a total derivative, and you know, use mathematics like like I don't understand it. You know, mm-hmm. but anyhow, my my, my thought was that uh, his uh, there are a lot of people in academia that love this his what he's doing. Mm-hmm. But he's a JPL. He should be doing computer work, mm-hmm. not, and he should be proud of the fact that he's not doing computer work. Hmm. But anyhow, the uh, uh, that's kind of kind of the, the uh, if I had to give an advertisement for my book, 
Mm-hmm. What I'm what I started trying to do is I'm trying to show everybody who reads it that I understand the mathematics. Mm-hmm. And I'm not doing this because I'm too dumb to understand the math. <laughs> and and here are the computer results that you get. This is the way you do it on the computer. Mm-hmm. And then you can you can calculate the numbers with your formula and you can run you can look at my computer results. You can see they're exactly the same. So that means that I that I got the right answer a lot easier than you ever did. Hmm. And most of the problems that you have, you can't solve them analytically. You have to do them on a computer. End of part one. Thank you for listening. You can find more podcasts like this on your favorite podcast feed under the title Spacewalks Money Talks. That includes Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. One great way to support me is to rate my podcasts, either good or bad. You can find more fascinating information at SpacewalksMoneyTalks.com, on YouTube under Spacewalks Money Talks, on Facebook under Spacewalks Money Talks, on Instagram under Spacewalks Money Talks, and on Twitter at SpacewalksMT. Don't forget to sign up for my weekly newsletter where I recommend newly published books. The subscription box is on my webpage. Thank you for listening. This is part two.